Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gift of Freedom. We're coming to you over www.blocktalkradio.com backslash the gist of freedom. I'd also like to remind you that this program, along with other previous programs, are available for free via iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Uh, also be reminded that should you want to contact our executive producer, Leslie Guest. Uh, you can email her at Leslie, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y, at thegistoffreedom.com. I would also suggest you send her a friend request on Facebook. Keep up with the history that she is presenting, the black history, the African-American experience. Tonight we're going to be talking about an event that occurred September 15, 1963, in Birmingham, Alabama. And that was the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, which four little girls lost their lives. They were murdered. And they were Dana, Denise McNair, age 11, Carol Robertson, age 14, Hattie Mae Collins, age 14, and Cynthia Diane Wesley, also age 14. Here to discuss with us on what's going on is Eric McMillan McCall, who is the founder and executive director of Project One Voice, Inc. And Eric is here to discuss with us an event coming up called Four Little Girls, One Voice, One Play, One Day Project. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. How are you tonight? I'm great. I'm great. The weather's great, great here in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> great. I'm glad you could join us uh, this evening here on the Gist of Freedom. And uh, start us off. Uh, one play, one day, one voice. Four little girls. Well, well what, um, as you said so wonderfully well, um, our organization is called Project One Voice. We, our signature event, we, um, we honor seminal um, plays um, from the African-American diaspora. What we do every single year is we, we come together, we bring black theaters around the country to, together in one voice to read one play, one African-American play classic, a play classic, um, all in one single day. So that, that's where you have one voice, one play, one day. We've been doing this for about three years, and the, the idea was to create interest in, um, in African-American theater and African-American playwrights and also to have a place where we can all come together, together to share those experiences in the African-American theater. So what we're doing on September 15th, we're presenting Four Little Girls, Birmingham, 1963. It's a collaboration between the Kennedy Center, Project One Voice, Howard University, in cooperation with Duke Ellington School of the Arts and African Continuum Theater Company. It's a free stage reading that we're presenting of this play, and it's being directed by um, Felicia Rashad, who, as you know, is the Tony Award-winning actress, and she also played Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show. And the play um, really deals with the, the bombing in a very unique way, in a way I think we, we have not heard this story told. It speaks of the humanity of these four girls, um, who were actually not not really girls. They were they were teenagers, except for Denise. Denise was a preteen. So um, 
we don't know who they were. We know that this bombing occurred, but we don't know um, what type of young ladies these were. And this show really delves into their humanity. So we find out that these were girls who were just like little girls today, thinking about little things that little girls think about. You know, how, how am I going to wear my hair? What dress am I going to wear to school? What boy liked me? Et cetera, et cetera. So we really get to know these girls in a completely different context. I see. And uh, how did you select this particular play? And also, um, you mentioned Felicia Rashad. Um, tell us about her daughter. She got a gig coming up in, uh, on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just a little bit about I, that. I just saw Condola Rashad and Orlando Bloom in um in Romeo and Juliet, which is um one of my favorite plays. Um it's William Shakespeare, of course. But um it was an extraordinary evening of, of theater. Um she's wonderful on stage and so is um, Mr. Bloom. You should go and see it. And what's really interesting about it is um the the two families one is is Caucasian and one is African American. Now they say to me when that this is a story that is not about race. Um, for me, I was like, how could it not be about race? Because I'm looking at a black family and a white family. But um, mm-hmm. you know, and in this story, they never really discuss what the um, the reason for the feud is. But but it's to me, I'm looking at the the fact that I'm seeing these wonderful. Um, people of the sable hue on stage speaking this wonderful language that um, William Shakespeare wrote so many years ago. Um, It was a prideful moment for me to see um, Tony Award winner Chuck Cooper um, on stage and also seeing Condola and so many other wonderful African-American actors on stage um, um, reciting these wonderful words by William Shakespeare. Yeah, and and moving back to Poor Little Girls, how did you uh, select that play? What went into that? You know, it was a, it was interesting. I was actually on a website looking for for something else because we, you know, each year we select a, um, uh, a an African American play classic. And I was doing a, a bit of research and and I came across this play, Poor Little Girls, Birmingham, 1963, and I. I was intrigued. Um, I was born in Birmingham. I was born in Birmingham in 1963, not too far from um, where the bombing actually took place. So, um, and I just turned 50 years old this year. So, um, this, that time period is something that I was really drawn to. And I found that so many of my friends were not even um, um, casually acquainted with the story um, the history of the four little girls and how they really helped to galvanize the civil rights movement. Um, so I, I read the piece, and I, I love the fact that it was a piece written specifically for, for young audiences. But I think what Christina Hamm has managed to do with this piece is she, she's writing to young people as young people, not as, as little kids, but she's writing to them as young people, and she's um, dispensing a lot of knowledge about these young girls. And, and also I think what she does so wonderfully well is she makes these four girls accessible. They're not these iconic figures. They're, they become human beings. I think that's the, uh, the wonderful quality about this piece. You, we really um, see these four beautiful young women as human beings, not as just these um, tragic, iconic figures who were bombed in Birmingham on, on September 15, 1963. Okay, and the um, overall play, are you working in, uh, or is it possible that uh, Bull Connors and people like that are going to make an appearance, or is it really focused on these young girls? You know, there's there's mention of, um, I think what's what's really interesting about the piece as well is, in the in the midst of all the turmoil that was going on in Birmingham, or in Birmingham as it's often return, re- referred to as, um, there was there was so much life that was going on. There was still a very healthy, robust African American community that was um, about um, educating one another. That was about having fine things, and they were going about their lives in the midst of of the um, segregated South. And that's something I think we don't hear a lot about these days. I think most people, when they think of Birmingham, they immediately think of the the dogs, of the the fire hoses, and the Bull Connor in in that that armored um, car, but I think um, with this story we we talk about how these how the parents are are navigating with their daughters through in the midst of all this turmoil because you know the parents still have the responsibility of raising their their young children 
And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a really wonderful scene in the play where um, I'm not going to give you all of it, but, but Chris McNair is trying to tell, have this conversation that so many African-American parents during the day would have with their children. The, the moment in time where your, your child realizes that there's certain things that he or she cannot do because of the color of their skin. And as a parent, it's a very difficult conversation to have because you want the best for your child. And you have to somehow be able to tell them that you can have the best, but you can't have that best. That there's a different best for you than there is for someone else. And it's very, it's a very hard conversation for a father to have for his child when you spend your whole life protecting that child and, and trying to create a world of possibilities for them. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you um, were born in Birmingham. Yes, very proud Based of there. it. I'm sure you should be, and uh, raised not too far from the church. When you were growing up in the school system, was this event part of the curriculum? And how did the community deal with the history of this bombing? You know, it's it's interesting. It, I think in in the African American community, there there are a lot of things we we don't do sometimes, and I think sometimes we don't really talk about those painful events in our lives. And and part of the reason why um, this whole event came about was so that we can engage in conversation about the things that we oftentimes want to forget. But I think um, we have such a rich history, um, a rich um, story that's so a part of the American narrative, American history. And some some of those moments are very painful, but they're all what has made um, – is, is a part of the fabric of America. So um, when I was growing up in, in, in school, it was it was only Black History Week. We had not um, ascended to the month that we have right now. So a lot was crammed into a, to the week. And I grew up, um, I went to a school that's called Lincoln Elementary School, and Lincoln Elementary School was not too far from Parker High School, which coincidentally is, um, I just found out today, is, I think it's celebrating its 120th anniversary uh, as a high school in Birmingham, um, which I think is really, really extraordinary, as an, an all-African-American high school. Um, it's been in existence for over 20 year, 120 years. But, um, but I went to Lincoln, Lincoln Elementary School, and it was all black, but the teachers were, were so committed to, to excellence, to teaching us about who we are. And so that week was filled with a lot of um, facts about learning about um, George Washington Carver, about Frederick Douglass, about um, Phyllis Wheatley, you know, these these wonderful, um, iconic um, role models that, that helped shape the person that I am today. Okay. Well, how did the um, black community, white community, did they ever come together uh, to commemorate the event, are there any playgrounds, uh, markers, mm. or recreational centers? Uh, there, there are quite a few throughout the entire country. I mean, here in in New York City, there's the Addie Mae Collins Center, which is a, a school for for um, preschoolers here. There's the Carol Robertson Center in Chicago. Um, there are quite a few markers in the city of city of Birmingham today, and actually, there have been quite a few places that have been dedicated over the last. Um, two years to the memory of the four little girls, but um, but you know there's there's also um, I just wanted to add this as well. I, a lot of people just are not aware that there were two little boys, two boys actually not little boys, but two boys who were killed on the same day. They were a part of the aftermath of the um, of the bombing. They were killed later. It was Johnny Robinson and um, Virgil Ware. Um, one was killed while riding his bicycle, and the other was just shot in the back. So I think it's it's important that we remember that there were six children, six young people killed on that day in Birmingham. Oh, I didn't know that. That same day. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were killed later in the day, and I think that's that's something that, as, as we look at um, at the history, it's something that a lot of people didn't want to deal with because, you know, those two young kids were 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 troublemakers, so to speak, um, and, and they were juvenile delinquents. And I think that for a lot of people they were a source of, 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 of shame because um, they, they, they did not have these 
quote unquote pristine background. They were they were you know they had a little checkered past, and so when when the the movers and shakers of the movement were looking for people to to bring to light, you know the the idea of these four young innocent girls was a lot more gripping for the headlines than to talk about two boys who had a, a prior record. Um, that doesn't diminish the fact that they were um, they were killed and that um, they they were wrongfully killed. Um, I think when when you're developing a, a a campaign as the civil rights movement was of 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 showing people how the American system is not treating all of us equally, I think you have to be careful in um, who you select to to be the people who are in front. And I think they were they were cognizant of that, but um, um, also aware of the fact that these young boys were were killed. But but I think it was something that just sort of became um, sort of lost throughout the years, and it's just something that people just did not talk about. Exactly, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't know about the mm-hmm. little boy that got killed. Uh, also, yeah. Leslie just posted about a fifth uh, girl who was in that bombing who was injured, Sarah Collins Rudolph. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, actually, yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I love most about this project, um, um, we we contacted all of the family members about this, um, which is, which is actually something a lot of people don't do. And, and actually, in my conversations with them, they they told me that um, um, that there are a lot of people who do things in honor of their their family members, and they're not even aware of of, of it. Um, and so, before we proceeded with this, I wanted to make contact with them and tell them what we were doing, and tell them how we we were remembering their their loved ones. Um, but Sarah Collins um, Rudolph it was a survivor. She was actually with the four girls um, that day at church, and she survived. Um, she survived with with um, some severe injuries. Um, she lost an eye. I think she also has um, um, lost some some hearing in in one or maybe both of her ears. But uh, but interesting in, in speaking with her. Um, I think we have to remember the time in which this all occurred. You know, now today we can go to psychiatrists and psychologists and, and talk about things that happened. But but they told me that back then you were basically told that, you know, you just have to get over this. You have to move on with your life. But how do you move on from losing your your best friends, from losing your sister, and and, and losing them in such a tragic, awful way? That's a memory that that she told me that she relives. Um, she relived nightly for for a number of years, and she still has nightmares thinking about it. So you know, we're dealing with a lot of people who who, while being on the front lines and and paving the way for for myself and so many others, you know, they they lost a lot. They suffered a lot, and um, a lot of times they they suffered in silence as a result of it because no one was there to help them maneuver through and help them get better and understand why certain things had happened and, you know, just having that outlet to chat. Is it true that she's living in poverty and has uh, filed a suit for reparations? The the latter the latter I, I do know to be true. Now, whether she's living in, in poverty, I, I don't know that to be true. I, I know she's she's not a, a rich woman by by any any means, but um, I, I do know that she is. Um, she did not accept the Congressional Medal of Honor, and she. Um, I'm, I'm not going to quote her, but she said basically said something to the effect that um, that she can't, she couldn't eat a medal. <laughs> so, um, and I think it's it's more so for the the pain and suffering that she's had to deal with over the years, because I think, you know, she's been forgotten. You know, she was a survivor. Um, of a very tragic bombing. And uh, speaking of that, talk to us a little bit about the logistics uh, about this play, and we'd like your contact information, and okay. how can we watch uh, this streamed live? Great. I, I think we also have to remember, too, that we have about, I think at last count, we have about 25 or so um, organizations across the, the country. They're, the number may be a little bit larger than that. 
But um, it's a mixture of um, African-American-based theater organizations and some, quote-unquote, mainstream theaters, if you will. Um, there are um, um, some libraries and museums that are also involved in this. They're, they're also doing a live live presentations of, of Four Little Girls in Birmingham, 1963, and it's going to use local talents in those specific cities. What I love about what we're doing in this, this very inclusive, collaborative um, nature of the arts is that we're – we're allowing different voices to be heard in um, in Atlanta, in um, in Houston, Texas, in Dallas, Texas, in Hawaii, in Alaska. They're all bringing their own personal um, flair to this piece. Um, and also, what I love most about it is is that it's engaging young people. So young people really get a chance to really own and know this story because they're immersed in it because they become the storytellers um, of this piece. Um, we, um, the Kennedy Center presentation will be broadcast on the Kennedy Center website, which is www.kennedy-center.org. Um, anyone can watch this on their mobile device or on, or on their computer, um, which I think makes this extremely accessible to people of all ages. Um, the play itself is, is open for, I think, anyone from age six plus. So you can watch this with a, a first grader, and you can watch it with your great-great-great-grandparents if you like. Um, what we really love about this event, it's a, a wonderful multi-generational um, event where you can engage in conversation about how things were and how things um, are now and how things can be. Um, the event is about how do we inspire and empower one another to create change. But I think also... Um, one of the, the themes of the event is also to allow us to be able to put into context the fact that we're losing so many young lives to hate and senseless violence around this country. Um, we're losing so many young people who are not able to, to reach adulthood, young people who we will never know what they might have become, young people who, who could have been um, future presidents, future Congress people, um, future researchers, um, future mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, we just will never know what they they will become. And I think um, we should all be bothered by the fact that, that young people are not all having an opportunity to reach adulthood. But you can watch this, this event that's really about um, making a difference in this country on September 15th on the Kennedy Center website. You can also um, host a viewing party if you'd like at your home. Um, a viewing party is one or more people. You can go to the Kennedy Center website and be a part of the live stream. It's very simple and easy to do. Just go to the website um, and, and um, put in Four Little Girls, Birmingham 1963. It will come up, and you just basically push a button, and you're right there. Okay, very good. appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And, again, that's www.kennedycenter.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's www.kennedy-center.org. Center.org. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, now what about uh, your contact information? Do you have a website? Yeah, our website, um, it's www.projectthenumeral1voice.org, and that's the numeral one voice. And our slogan is basically, how will your one voice be heard? Because we think it's important that people – understand the power of your one voice, whether it's one voice as an individual or our collective one voice. Um, I think there's a lot of inspiration and empowerment that can come out of igniting our, our individual and collective voices. Um, I would encourage our listeners to organize some watch parties and view this over live stream over the Internet um, this is a very serious and a very important uh, presentation. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of young people out there, thinking of my grandchildren right now, they really need to know this story and the full impact of this story and yeah. how it actually turned the civil rights movement around. It most 90s. certainly did. It most certainly did. Um, you know, there's, there's a wonderful... Um, Quote, if, if I might read this, it's, it's something that Angela Davis wrote about her childhood oh, friend, her childhood friend Carol Robertson, and she wrote this in the article. And it's it's something that that 
we echo in the play itself. It, it's basically this. What bothers me most is that their names have been virtually erased, that they are inevitably referred to as the four black girls killed in the Birmingham church bombing. I would like to remember not only the terror that claimed their life and that of, the Sunday, of, their, of her Sunday school friends, but also the positive lives they claimed for themselves as teenage girls, along with our memories of that horrible day and what it symbolized. I would also like us to consider what Carol Robertson, Cynthia Wesley, Addie Mae Collins, and Denise McNair might have become. I think that really, really sums up for me is the history that is behind this day and the, the history that we're not remembering, the history that we're not telling each other and, and the generations that are, are, are to come. It's important that we share our narrative, the complete narrative of, of America and of the world, and that we not, not consider contributions or how we've helped, but how we built this nation and how we built this world. Um, we are we are the architects of the world and of America. We have built this country. We were we were there when everyone else was there, even though that is that doesn't quite always make it into the history books. But we know that. And I also think it's important that we do not rely on um, other people to tell our stories because if we don't tell it, no one else will, and no one's going to tell it the way we're going to tell it. You know, you were talking about uh, the young people, and uh, you think there'll ever be a play uh, relative to the Trayvon Martin incident that might you know, serve I, as a catalyst for the next civil rights movement? You know, I think in, in the event that we're doing, I, I think that's the reason why we've, we've expanded the, the theme of this, this entire event, um, and we're looking at the fact that we're losing so many young lives to, to hate and senseless violence. I think with with that said, we we've included Trayvon Martin, we've included Emmett Till, we've included and Frank, we've included so many people, so many young young people that we've lost to hate and senseless violence. I think um, the the history of the poor little girls, as you said so wonderfully well earlier, um, it helped to galvanize the civil rights movement in in the 60s. It was the reason that Congress. Um, accelerated the past the um, accelerated the legislation of the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. Um, it is the reason why we are able to be the people that we are today with the freedoms that we have. We owe a lot to to four young women who gave who gave an had gave an ultimate sacrifice so that we can be doing what we're doing today and I think we should remember them. Remember how they've changed the fabric of America. You know, we've been celebrating um the fiftieth anniversary of the March on Washington and Doctor King's uh speech, I Have a Dream speech. Um were you keeping up with that and what do you think of the president's uh mood? when he made his speech and the topics that he hit on. You know, I I think I think it's one I think it was wonderful. I think it was a really great day. I I, I have to say what I, I applauded most was the fact that there were so many women that were speaking because I think we tend to forget that um that women were also the architects of the of the movement as well. And I think we have to remember that behind um or actually not behind but standing next to um, Martin Luther King and Medgar Evers and Malcolm X were some really strong women who not only were taking care of their families but also were there to to be a source of um, of, of inspiration for their husbands who were who were carrying a lot of weight. You know, imagine coming home, a spouse coming home from from being in the trenches and and being shot at and being jailed, and the tension and the that that brings, and you you have a wife who's at home taking care of your family and who's also there to listen to you. But I, I think one of the things that, that people forget about the, the civil rights movement is that the civil rights movement was a movement of the people. It was a movement of, of regular, everyday people, people like, um, like George Lee, who fought for voting rights in 1955 in a town called um, Belzoni, Mississippi, um, a man like William Moore, who was a postman from Maryland, who would literally walk letters 
to um, to government governors denouncing segregation. You know, Viola um, Luizzo, um, she was the mother of five and an activist. Um, and you know, the great Fannie Lou Hamer, who who coined that that infamous phrase, "I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired." You know, mm-hmm. these are regular regular everyday people, you know, and I think we have to remember it was not only the iconic figures that we need to remember. We need to remember that there were regular, ordinary people who were who became sick and tired of, of the foot of oppression on their back, who stood up and said no, who made their voices heard and made a difference. So I think this is a, a day to commemorate all of the both sung and unsung heroes of the movement. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly glad that you brought that up um, in terms of the women's involvement, and that goes all the way back to the Underground Railroad. And yes. I think it should be mentioned that Mahalia Jackson is getting a lot of credit for encouraging Martin to do the dream speech, and she kept interrupting him uh, to tell him to talk about the dream. Martin, talk about the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, because the speech that he was giving was scripted, mm-hmm. and had no mention of the dream until he was prompted by Mahalia Jackson. Yeah, uh, I think that's an excellent point you bring up, and and you're you're exactly right that the women in the movement have uh, oh. been overlooked. Yeah, and, and oh, and I was going to say too, you know, when when we look at um, at African American families in particular, you know, women. You know the matriarchs are are really the have been the movers and shakers of, of the families for decades. Um, you know my mom was was a, a huge force in in my life and in, in shaping the the man that I am today. So I think we would history would be very incomplete if we don't include how women have built not only history but how they also built the the movement for for change in this country and the world. Uh, exactly, and some of those uh, women were Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, um, going all the way back to um, uh, the Underground Railroad. And speaking of women in the movement, um, I want to ask you this question, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Russell Simmons and the Harriet Tubman sex tape <laughs> that he put out there. Um What's your thoughts on that? You know what? That I, that I'm not familiar with. I have to okay. say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, but I do have to say, um, um, I think what's what's great about the the movement is that the 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 promises of the civil rights movement have have become. Um, a reality for all, all of us. And I think one of the things to remember about the civil rights movement, I think the movement was more so uh, a movement about how we can we can change existing laws. And I think when we look at um, at what happened with, with Trayvon Martin, I think it's important that, um, that we become involved in the system, the lawmaking and the po- policymaking in this country. Because what happened to Trayvon was, was – very, it was tragic. It was unfortunate, and should should not have happened. But I think it's I think what it reminds all of us is how much more we need to be engaged in the political process, and not just in the national elections. I think now we have to be involved in state and local elections as well, in that government, in that process. You know, every there's so many things that are being put forth now to to. Um, to make sure that we we can't go to the polls to make our our voices heard, I think that's the reason why we need to come together. Um, I think um, what what we've been hearing echoed over and over again is that that we need to come together as a coalition of people, as in one voice, to create change and to empower and inspire each other to to create policy and laws that really reflect um, America. And I think a law laws like um, Stop and frisk, stand your stand your ground. Do not reflect America. Um, um, I think there are people who are, are speaking out against those um, those laws, um, and I think it's it's important that we all make our voices heard in regard to to those laws and laws like them. I hope our listeners were paying attention to 
uh, your comments about the voting process and getting involved in local politics, the city level, the county level, neighborhood level, school board, yeah, PTA, uh, whatever, getting yeah. involved. Yes. Uh, that's an excellent point, and I appreciate yeah. that. Now, yeah. you gave us some contact information, a website. Um, do you have a Facebook fan page? Yeah, you can go. We have a Facebook community. It's Project One Voice, Project the Number One Voice. It's a community. It's not a fan page. We're, I love the fact that we were able to to create a community page because I, I I see Project One Voice as a community. It's it's all of us coming together to do this work. Um, you know, um, I I don't know your listeners. I I believe in a in a higher power, and I want to say that that. This was not something that um, that I did on my own. There was someone guiding my footsteps every step of the way because, you know, we started this, this journey in September. I started this by myself, and the journey um, got a boost in, in March when the Kennedy Center came, came on board. I, I literally called the, the Kennedy Center blindly. I don't know anyone at the Kennedy Center, and I said, we should be producing this at the Kennedy Center. And they said, yes, we should, and they came on board. All right. And, and you know, you know I, I'm, a, I'm a great speaker, a great talker. I, I'm, I'm a producer, so I, I can get things out of people. But that's something I couldn't do without the help of the man upstairs. And and the fact that we're we've been able to to bring together so many voices around this entire country, I give praise and honor to God on a daily basis for what He has um, inspired in me and empowered, um, and what He the vision that He's given me um, as it relates to this project and Project One Voice and the the wonderful people that have come into my life as a result of this project to to meet um, people like yourself and. And um, um, your your lovely wife, um, um, it's just been remarkable for me. It's it's been life changing. It's been life altering. It's it's been inspiring. And there's still so much work to be done. But but you know, Frederick Douglass said, "Power concedes nothing without a struggle." So you know, the civil rights movement and what we're doing on on September 15th, I think is an example of how you know, what we can accomplish once we come together in one voice. Yeah, uh, I want to make a correction there. Uh, Leslie and I are not married yet. She's in New Jersey and I'm in Missouri. I I apologize. I think you should be. <laughs> I should be honored, actually. Uh, thank you. So, and, uh, but there is a Leslie Joy Allen who wanted to say hello to you. Yes. Okay. Well, she's made some contact, and she says hello. Yes. Leslie Joy is amazing. Okay, she's amazing. Yeah. We've, and we've, I we've, think, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But I, I wanted to thank you for that uh, tip on the community page. Um, mm -hmm. You're educating a lot of us here. Yeah. Uh, uh, in reference to what's available in the social uh, media networks. Um, what about Spike Lee's movie? Um, you know, I enjoy... I, little Girls. Were you uh, I, empowered by that? Oh, you know, I think I think it's a, it's an extraordinarily, extraordinary piece of, of, of filmmaking. Um, what I love most about this is it's about facts. You know, um, Spike interviews these, these people who were there, and they're giving you... Um, you know, first-hand memories of what happened. Um, and one of my favorite moments is um, Maxine uh, McNair, when she speaks about um, when she has to go and identify the body. And she's taken aback by the, the woman who, who brings her in, and she, she refers to her as Maxine. And she said, how dare you? How dare you refer to me as Maxine when you don't know me? I'm grieving uh, for my child that you would be that familiar with me, and you don't know me. You, you're not respecting me, who I am. And for me, 
that in that moment, that made me realize the community that I came from in Birmingham. It's it's a strong community of people. They're the shoulders on which I stand so firmly, and it is is the reason why. I'm able to do what I'm doing because I look back at my grandmother, people like Maxine uh, McNair, Chris McNair, who who I just found out may be released from prison in time for um, for the anniversary. We're not sure if that's going to happen, but that was a, a breaking news in Birmingham today. But but there's so many um, incredible people in, in in from the state of Alabama and from the city of Birmingham who have gone on to tremendously wonderful things. Uh, you know, Condoleezza Rice, who was um, a friend of the four little girls, um, the four girls, um, Dr. Freeman Arabrowski, who's now um, um, president of the University of Maryland, um, Baltimore um, College. Um, there's just endless numbers of people from the South who 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 grew up in segregation, but in spite of, of living these these separate lives, if, if you will, and, and living in all of this, this turmoil, there was so much good that came out of that. And I think that's what we need to remember is that in spite of all the turmoil and chaos in our lives, God can find good, and he found it so many times. And I'm so glad that he, he found it in, um, in so many people that, that, that I have come in contact with over the last over the the years um so are there any writers out there activist writers that you would like to give kudos to and could you advise us on some plays that we (laughs) might be interested in other plays um you know i think um you know we advocate for 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 african-american playwrights I think um I think that's a voice that's that's definitely missing from um from Broadway, from the great white way. I think um voices of the sable hue are, are definitely missing. Um I I I love August Wilson, I think he's an awesome playwright. And I also love Lorraine Hansberry, but we have to know that there are are other people out there like um um Alice Childress. There's um, um, Leslie Lee. There's um, oh gosh, there's um, um, Pearl Pearl Kleeg. Um There's um, oh gosh, um, Intizaki Shange. There's oh, there's just an endless number of, of of playwrights out there that that we should be reading and and should become acquainted with because it's it's our story. It's told in the way we tell those stories, and I think what's what's really wonderful being um, um, an African American is that um, we're able to embrace all these worlds in a really uniquely wonderful way um, because we have to live in in two different worlds sometimes and mm-hmm. and some of your list, listeners understand what I'm saying when I when I say that but um, but I think it it's it's wonderful for all of us to explore those two different worlds you know. Um, because I think it's what makes us all complete. It's what's, what makes the world what it is. It's, it's, it's embracing those differences. And sometimes when people tell me when they, that they don't see color or they don't see differences, I, I, I challenge them because I think the differences are what make us so special. You know, I grew up in a family of four, and I think what made all of us so different, so special, was the fact that all of us were different. And my mom can attest to that. You know, I was the child that she often referred to as the child who just didn't want to be like everybody else. She told me one day, she said, "Why can't you just be like everybody else?" And I told her, "Why would you ever want to be like everyone else?" And after I picked my face up from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Been there and done that. I know. And was crying, you know, I understood why I I shouldn't be saying what I'm saying, but but still I mean these were things that she instilled in me and I think that was part of the reason for for my getting the reprimand because, you know, there was a there was a bit of pride in that, that little wallop she gave me because she's like, Yeah, you should feel that way. But but you shouldn't tell me that you're feeling that way, not at six years old, you know. <laughs> Have to remember your uh, place. <laughs> tell me, um, 
How far is uh, Montgomery, where King's Church was located, and Birmingham? Montgomery Montgomery is probably like an, an hour and a half away from, from Birmingham. Um and and coincidentally we there's a reading in um in Berm, in Montgomery. They're doing it at the E. D. Nixon um elementary school who I just found this wonderful um I'm I'm now in love with E. D. Nixon and his his story, um, thanks okay. to um my great friend Joy who introduced me to E. D. Edie Nixon and um, Edie Nixon and the George Washington Carver um, Elementary School. They're coming together to do a presentation in in, um, in Birmingham, a live presentation. And so is the Alabama State University. They're going to be doing a um, a viewing party. Their whole comp- campus is coming together. And 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 let me add this one more thing about about the state of Alabama. I, I love my state. I'm, I love Alabama so much. There there are going to be six readings in Alabama. That's more than any other state. And there's six readings because the six readings represent the six children that were killed in, in Birmingham, killed in the state of Alabama on September 15, 1963. And the, the idea is those six spirits of those um, innocent lives will be hovering over that state just like they were on September 15th. But this time they are the shoulders on which we are all standing firmly. We're not mourning them. We're standing on those their shoulders, looking toward the future. They're pointing us all to the future, and that's that's a powerful statement for us. You know, the fact that we have all this these these people of color, people of of all hues, coming together to remember these these people of color and how they've helped to build this country, how they changed. A country and a world. How often does that happen in our lifetime? I mean, we know we, as an international community, we remember um, Martin Luther King, we remember Malcolm X, but on September 15th, we, as an international community, remember four girls who changed history, who galvanized a movement. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Extremely powerful. Uh, Eric. This has been great. We're 15 minutes over our schedule. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. So don't worry about it. Don't worry. No, no, no. This has been great. And uh, you must come back. We've got to talk about any future projects you have coming. And before we sign off, I just want to mention one thing to you and our uh, other listeners, particularly you since you are from Birmingham. And you maybe you've read this book, Some of My Best Friends Are Black. The Strange Story of Integration in America by Tanner Colby. And the school integration piece, uh, he uses Birmingham, Alabama as an example. And housing, he uses Kansas City, Missouri, and he uses some other cities. Uh, which I think you might find that book uh, uh, enjoyable. Now, yeah. before we close, um, give us again the date of the play, director, everything we need to know about the play. Now, the play is happening on September 15th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, you can watch the Kennedy Center presentation, which is being directed by Felicia Rashad, and you can go to www.kennedy-center.org. Now, you can watch this on your mobile device, you can watch it on your computer, or you can watch it at one of the designated viewing party sites around the entire country. But also look, um, check our website, which is www.projectthenumeralonevoice.org, for a complete listing of venues around the country that are presenting live presentations. So there may be one even closer to you than the Kennedy Center. But but we want everyone to come and, and be a part of this and and let um, and show how your one voice will be heard on September 15th. Very good. Um... Are there any uh, black theater organizations you'd like to to mention are involved the, in this project? The Ensemble Theater in Houston is is doing Ensemble this. Ensemble in Houston, okay. Ensemble Theater in Houston. Um, the Ebony Repertory Theater in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, Stage Aurora in Jacksonville, Florida is joining us. Stage Aurora. Mm-hmm. 
the African American Repertory Theater in Dallas. Actually, they're in. They're actually just a little bit outside of Dallas. They're in. I can't think of the name right off off um, off of my head. But also the um, the Black Academy of Arts and Letters, which is Curtis King, which is the third largest venue um, um, in um, in Dallas, third largest, third most frequently visited venue in in the state of Dallas, in the state of Texas, in the city of Dallas. Um, those are just some of the the locations. Also, there's there are two. There's um, Dillard University and um, um, is doing a reading in in, La, in New Orleans and also and there's a uh, organization in Shreveport. I cannot think of its name right now. It's Angelique Fister Evans and she's going to kill me for not remembering the name of her, her theater. But you know it's Angelique and everyone knows Angelique. <laughs> Angelique. And uh, man, this has been a great program uh, and a great guest. I really appreciate your coming on. We've been talking to Eric McMillan McCall, who is the founder, executive director of Project One Voice Inc. And uh, you can be assured that those of us here at the Gift of Freedom will be in attendance and listening and watching and encouraging our family and friends and community. Um, to uh, be listening. One other thing I'd like for you to do, Eric, for me, because uh, it's new information for bringing those two boys in that were murdered on the same day. What are their names again? Their names are Virgil Ware and Johnny Robinson. Now, you can go Virgil. to our website. Yeah, you can go, go to our website and there's information about them. It's Virgil Ware and Johnny Robinson. Johnny Robinson. Okay. And there's information about them on our website. Great. Glad and if you get a chance, in. also get a chance, if you get a chance you're on, on Facebook, please like us on Facebook. We like to I'm, be liked. I'm <laughs> doing that right as soon as we uh, get here, uh, get down here. Repeat that website address one more time. We've got some people out there that might be a slow writer or whatever. Okay. It's www dot project the numeral one voice dot org. Okay. No excuse. Yeah. yeah. And get hold on that uh, Facebook page and give yeah. Eric and his organization some likes. Yeah. And follow us on Twitter too at P one voice. P one voice. Yeah. That's the numeral one. The numeral one. P numeral one voice. Okay. He's also on Twitter, folks, and I heard you. I hope you heard him put that out there. Let's <laughs> get some support behind this project, and we'll be looking forward to uh, other projects coming forward. Uh, Definitely. From Project One Voice. Appreciate it. Thank uh, you, guys. Name, okay, take care. My name is Preston Washington. I've been your host. I'm up here in Kansas City, Missouri. And I am not Leslie Gibbs' husband. She has a husband that she is very well acquainted with and very satisfied with. Good night, everybody.